60 million lives have been lost due to abortion. Millions of mothers led astray by the abortion industry. Divorce, sex trafficking, and infertility are at an all-time high. Entering into a movement where this is the evil we face can seem extremely difficult. But I believe that great change is simply a series of small things done consistently. Together, we will learn how to do the small things for the pro-life movement. And together, we will end abortion one baby step at a time. I'm your host, Hope, and this is the Simply Pro-Life Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Simply Pro-Life Podcast. I am so excited to be here today. And you know what? I hope I never take for granted how excited I am to be on this show and be able to talk to so many wonderful people. It truly is a blessing to be genuinely excited about one's work. So with that being said, I am, again, so excited to be here today because this podcast allows me to catch up with old friends and meet new people and sit down and have fantastic conversations. And today we are sitting down with a friend of mine who I haven't talked to in a little while, so it's going to be really nice to catch up and everything. Today we have Mason Deschamps. Deschamps, is that? (laughs) We were going back and forth before trying to figure, I was trying to learn how to pronounce his last name. (laughs) Uh, Yep, people just call me Spider-Man. That's the beauty of it. That makes it way easier for the rest of us. So Mason is the pro-life Spider-Man, I'm sure. I am sure by this point, everyone has heard of him. Like, I don't think I've met a person in the last six months that hasn't heard of him. Uh, Mason, you know, I initially saw in the news around like, I don't know, last summer at some point. And I then a little while later, unrelated, decided to do a Simply Pro-Life teen event where he messaged me after he saw the post and was like, hey, can I come speak? And I was like, shot in the dark, might as well, you know, let's do it. And he came and he was so encouraging and inspiring, especially to the young men there. And I just, I really admired them. And he was so fun and charismatic, a really awesome young pro-life male activist um, who knows his stuff, who's passionate about the movement, and who free solo climbs skyscrapers to make a difference. And so I'm really excited to sit down and talk with him today and ask him the questions that I've got. So our first question for you, Mason, let's see, got to pick out a good one here. So Mason, you're a rock climber. We're going to start here. We're going to go rock climbing first, and then we're going to fade into pro-life activism and how they tie together. So what was your first real tug to get involved in rock climbing? Yeah, well, so I grew up in Michigan, actually, and I grew up hunting and fishing, and I was always outside. And my dad, he used to just, like, lock the doors and was just, like, find something to do. And so we, we, were, we were always doing something, you know. When I was in high school, my parents, we ended up moving the entire family over to California, to Los Angeles, from this, like, tiny little farm town to Los Angeles. So here I am, the kid who like spends all of his time outside, like eats squirrel. And then now I'm living in Los Angeles. And it was just such a culture shock when when I moved that the first thing I wanted to do was get out of LA. (laughs) I was looking for things outdoorsy to do. And my dad ended up buying me a climbing harness and a rope. And so like junior, senior year, I was climbing maybe once a month at the local crag, just a local little cliff. And, you know, it wasn't hardcore climbing or anything like that. But as soon as I turned 18, the last day of school, I threw everything in my car and just drove up to Yosemite. I skipped my graduation and just 
was like, I'm out of here. See ya. And lived in the boulders of Yosemite. <laughs> That's awesome. So how long did you live there? Did you like live there, live there? Or were you kind of just camping or what were you doing? Yeah. So I spend every summer there. Now it's changing a little bit just because, you know, my job now. I usually go up from the months of like May to July until it's too hot. And then I'll go to Wyoming. You go up there and you're only allowed to stay there seven days. But if you want to get really good at climbing, you have to stay longer. There's no other way to do it. And so you got to kind of incognito camp. It's it's a strange, strange world. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So you've been climbing for, let's see, you started like heavy duty when you were in high school and you're still doing it now. So how many years have you been consistently climbing? Well, I started heavy duty like as soon as I graduated, I'd say like five years, six years. Very nice. So you've, you've got some experience. How did you go from rock climbing, just casually doing it because you wanted you know, to get out, to get outside, uh, to get out of the city? How did you go from that to pro-life Spider-Man? Yeah. So I've always sort of been a little bit political, but just not involved. Okay. And the climbing community itself is, is, is very liberal. It's very, very really? liberal. And so, yeah. And huh. um, so I, I just kept silent, never said anything, just because I knew that if I had said something that I would lose a lot of friends. It would have been like 2019, my friend Brad had posted something about abortion. And it was, he was pro-choice, but he was just criticizing the my body, my choice thing that was going on at the time. Like all the, every liberal white girl was sharing that post that said like, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. And that's all I said, you know, just a bunch of buzzwords. But he said that, you know, it was kind of a dumb argument and he got flooded with hate. And he told me, he was like, whatever you do, don't say anything about abortion. And so, of course, the first thing I had to do was say something about abortion. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, from that one thing I said, I had like death threats and like all sorts of just like oh, that's hate. Just so again, <laughs> like I didn't even take a stance. I just said my body, my choice is a bad argument. It's a childish argument. The hate just flooded in, you know, years went down the line and I just kind of saw how how bad abortion was. And, and from that, I just dove into to the, the topic of abortion, I realized like, you know, if this really is murder, then over 70 million babies have been murdered so far in the US since Roe v. Wade. This is a, a Holocaust. This isn't just some like, you know, political issue. This is one of, I mean, the worst travesties in human history. In human history, I agree. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's the Andrew Bar Breitbart line. This is culture is downstream of politics, right? And so in my head, I was thinking like, if culture is downstream of politics, then I have to figure out a way to join the culture. And back in 2008, there was this guy, his name's Alain Robert, and he really is the OG of, of skyscraper climbing. He climbed the Sears Tower, actually, in Chicago in 1999. Oh, wow. He's 60 years old. He's still going. It's insane. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. But, That's uh, impressive. In 2008, he climbed the New York Times building, and he hung banners to protest climate change. And I thought to myself, you know, that'd be really cool to do that for the conservative movement. And at the moment, still to this day, there's not really anybody else in America climbing skyscrapers. There's some guys over in Europe, but in America, there was nobody doing it. So I figured like this is an open avenue to sort of steal for the pro-life move, the pro-life cause. 
we're so excited that you know you're you're on our team on this and and in doing that for the movement because it yeah it is so unique and and like we said we don't normally see people climbing skyscrapers and so you know I'm sure the media coverage has just been great and I know that it has been because we've seen you which is just it is so cool uh I I one of the things that I absolutely love about simply that I'm working on is the creativity. The point of simply is to help people do the small things for the pro-life movement and and giving them the ideas uh, for that. And, you know, I always ask people, you know, be creative with it. What is something simple you can do for the pro-life movement? And simple doesn't necessarily, necessarily equate too easy. It mostly just equates to, you know, an idea that is like a one sentence idea. And so I, I, I love hearing these different ideas because the creativity that you can get in the pro-life movement is so unique and fun and interesting and it keeps it, it keeps it moving. And people like you have brought a huge, you know, new sense of ambition and creativity to the movement, which is super inspiring for young people and, and necessary. Guys, it is so important that we do the simple things for the pro-life movement. One simple thing that you can do today is supporting this show. There are a couple ways to do that. The first is leaving a rate and review. The second is sharing it with your friends and family. And the third is donating to the show. In the description of the show, there is a link that you can click on that allows you to make a donation. All of these things help me a ton with being able to share this show with more people, getting more people involved in the pro-life movement, and ultimately ending abortion. I want to thank you all for your generosity. It means a lot to me. And now back into the episode. So my next question for you was, how has this impacted your life? Well, I mean, it's completely changed my life. When I started doing this, I was going to school at UNLV for for finance. And I was planning out my first round of of climbs. And I just remember like sitting in class and not being able to focus on anything else. You know, I had sort of like, I, I saw the pictures of the babies from the Justice for the Five incident. And I just knew that I had to do something and the time was now. I couldn't wait. Like here are these just five gruesome images of these babies that were murdered and I I couldn't get them out of my head. And so I just remember sitting in class, just thinking about that and thinking about these climbs and how to plan it. And, And like, I don't remember anything that I learned at all. I didn't learn anything. I was just there zoned out, like blacked out, just thinking about the climbs the entire time for like a month. Until finally, like I had raised the money and it was it was time to go to San Francisco. My life just has changed drastically, just logistically, you know. Before I would I would go to class and I would climb every day and I would you know spend my weekends rock climbing. Whereas now I I, I travel ev- all over the country all the time and and so like less of my time is actually spent rock climbing and more of my time is spent working for the pro life movement and. Uh, I'll say, you know, I don't make like any money. <laughs> <laughs> Pros but of being a pro-life activist. <laughs> it's, it's the same as being a rock climber, you know, like I, humble beginnings. You're sleeping in the boulders of Yosemite eating peanut butter. And that's all you have. It's, it's, it's called, we have the term, it's called a dirt bag. And oh. it just means climbing bum. And, but it's a term of endearment, right? Like, so you're a dirt bag if you're sleeping in your car and you're eating like literally when I moved to Las Vegas to live in Las Vegas, uh, I had $200 and I needed that to last three months. 
So $200 in three months. And so what I did is I found this deal at a grocery store and they were selling cans of Hormel chili for about 10 cents a can. So I bought cases about as tall as me if you stacked them all on top of each other. And that's all I ate for like two, three months was Hormel chili every day. And that's like a dirt bag thing. Like you're living in your car, just eating chili for three months. Out of a can. Yeah. The thing about it is I could rock climb every single day. And so like, I'm not struggling that bad as an activist, but I see some of these other pro-life activists who are living just like dirt bags, like, like dirt bag climbers. And I think it's kind of funny, the sort of like comparisons between the two. Yeah. Uh, it's funny to hear dirt bag as like an endearing thing because normally, yeah. oh, you're a dirt bag. It's normally an insult, but I could see, you know, giving up, you know, you know, earthly possessions to fight for something great like the pro-life movement um, and being referred to as a dirt bag. I could see how that would be endearing now. And that's an interesting kind of thought. And it's all about that sacrificial love. You know, you say like, oh, you're making next to no money. And it's like, yeah, that is, that is part of, you know, giving up this, you know, idea of like the, I don't know if you call it like the perfect life. I'll, I'll just say this. When I was starting Simply, I have and have to continue. I had to and have to continue working on the idea that this is not for money. This is this is the weird thing about nonprofits is that you're not working like a normal business whose means is to get financially set or big or anything like that. Your goal is something completely different. And that's the interesting thing about starting a nonprofit or working in a nonprofit versus just any other business. But it is for something greater than ourselves, which is helping these babies and these women in these crises. Um, I think I said that wrong. Crises. Anyways, now you use your passion for rock climbing and the pro-life movement and mesh them. And now you work for Let Them Live, which we had Emily Burning on earlier in the season. And you do just that, where you help women in crisis pregnancy. Tell us a little bit more about how you got hired on with Let Them Live and what you're doing for them and with them now. Yeah, so... When I started this skyscraper climbing project, I was raising money for Let Them Live to begin with. I just really believed in what they were doing and I just loved their work. And so I had climbed maybe like three buildings and Nathan Burning contacted me and he was like, hey, dude, like, I love what you're doing, which for me to hear was just so different because, you know, most pro-life organizations just kind of thought I was crazy. And they didn't see the sort of, um, I don't know, cultural aspect to what I was doing. And so no one wanted to work with me, whether they were pro-choice or pro-life. Like, I just had hate on both sides. But Nathan was like, dude, like, this is cool. Like, we, sh- we can really, like, help you out and help you raise more money for us. So he hired me on full time and sort of helped me with the marketing aspects of what I was doing. And it was just so cool to see someone believe in what I was doing. And and then I guess the vice versa, like I was believed in what they were doing so much that I was willing to do it for free before they hired me on. That's some awesome unity, you know, yeah. just uniting with other activists to, to get to the, you know, a, a better end. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just been such a great partnership with them because like you get to see the fruit of your labor. Like every, every time I climb a building, we're raising money for a specific mom and a specific baby. You know, months go by and then the baby's born and you get to see the baby. And actually in DC, you were there at the, at the Rose Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
this was actually would have been this was the night before there was the Vans for Life dinner, and I got to meet one of the babies we saved, and they handed her over to me, and I didn't know who she was. I just knew she was baby Ayla, the the baby that Nathan and Emily were were trying to adopt. And they hand her over to me, and she puts her hand around my finger, and. Emily says to me, Mason, that's one of the babies that you saved by climbing the Devon Tower. And had you not done it, then that arm would have been ripped off. She was saved from a late-term abortion. And so here I am holding this baby, and I just started crying. And I, I, had, to, I had to leave, leave the room, but she's just the cutest little precious life. And, and, and like, here's the fruit of working in the pro-life movement. It's, it's not the money, but it's, it's this life right here. And so it's a very fulfilling job. I'll say that you don't make a lot of money, but, <laughs> but it's very, it's fulfilling in another way. No, it's totally You're rich in love. You're rich mm -hmm. in love. Yeah. There's a different type of rich. I don't, Oh my gosh. I know it was so sweet. Cause when I saw you at the Rose dinner, you know, um, I, I don't remember if it was you or Emily holding the baby is probably you or maybe it's Nathan. And there was a little break in like the speeches at the dinner. And so I walked over to you to say hi. And you introduced me to baby Ayla. And you had told me that this is one of the babies that you had saved. And first of all, she was the cutest little nugget ever. Um, I got to hold her and I have a picture with her. And she seriously is just the most precious little thing. And then you, you, you know, you told me that you saved her. And it was just like kind of a shock because a lot of the time, a lot of the time in the pro-life movement, you don't get to view the fruits of your labor ever, almost ever. My grandpa was a full-time activist for over 40 years and he worked up until the day he died. And very rarely, if at all, he met the people that he genuinely helped. A lot of the people you know, he would do these face to truth tours where they showed the victims of abortion on the streets of Chicagoland. And a lot of people drove by and changed their minds because of the picture that they saw. But a lot of people didn't stop to tell them. But there was one guy who my grandpa helped by doing the face to truth tour. And it was like many years later, like I think something along the lines of like 11 years later, this guy comes and he says, you know, that they saw their posters um, you know, however many years prior, and they thought it had no effect on him until recently, like within the year and his girlfriend got pregnant and she was going to abort the baby, but he remembered those pictures in the back of his mind, um, from 10 years prior and decided that he couldn't allow that to happen. So he became a single father and the, the mom went on about her life and had nothing to do with the baby, but he couldn't do it because of those pictures. Um, but that was one of the very few times they actually heard the story of somebody who they truly helped. And so it's such a blessing to be able to, A, have the encouragement of meeting the children that you save and B, being surrounded by the people who can continue uplifting you in that. Um, and we're all kind of in that together. And that is so cool. And that's a really cool way that it's impacted your life. Did you know there are two things you can do in the next 30 seconds to help end abortion? Yep, and I'm going to tell you. The first is sharing this podcast. I encourage you to share this podcast with a friend, somebody who's pro-choice, or even to your social media. Sharing this podcast with more people makes it so that they can hear these amazing stories and that they can get involved and that they can hear simple ways that they can help end abortion. The second thing you can do to help end abortion is to leave a rate and review. 
For some reason, the algorithm likes it when people leave more rates and reviews, and so it'll push it out once that is done. So I encourage you, leave a rate and review so that we can reach more people with the message that is, we can end abortion one baby step at a time. Alrighty, back into the episode. So what are more negative side of things? What are the cons of being a pro-life activist? You know, I feel like we don't talk about this much, but for authenticity purposes, are there any cons of being an activist? I guess it depends on what you call a con, right? For me, there there was. Being a climber and being in the climbing community and this sort of liberal environment, as soon as I came out as pro-life, suddenly I got this just storm of hate I got like death threats from other climbers and and like in the climbing community you know I'm not very well liked anymore whereas before it wasn't people people like me and now they just don't because of my political opinions and like Yosemite was this place that was my home it was like this sort of holy land for me you go there and there's waterfalls and it's it's like the place of fairy tales and all of a sudden, I just don't feel welcome there anymore. So that's definitely a con. But for me, it's like you need to learn to grab your strength from the Bible. And you read the Bible and you read what the apostles went through. And you, and you just learn to shake the dust off your boots. And if you can do that and find a sort of joy in that sort of suffering, then there really are no cons. You know, it's if you if you can find a little bit of fun and the hate, then it's not that big of a deal. It's yeah. Like. The uncomfortable thing for me when I first started doing this kind of work is like getting on an airplane and then someone asks you like, oh, what do you do for work? Oh, and gosh. at first it was this awkward conversation, but now I look at them dead in the eyes and I say, I save babies from genocidal sacrifice and just watching <laughs> their faces light up is really fun. <laughs> totally, totally do. I agree with you there because you know, it's kind of this awkward taboo subject to be pro-life in some mm-hmm. regards, you know, or at least sometimes it feels like that. I started a new job back in November just to kind of not put so much financial stress on my pro-life activism. And so anyways, I was, you know, talking to my mom and I was like, oh, I just feel like I can't really mention like what I'm really doing with my life. Like I'm, I'm really dedicating my life to the pro-life movement. And I feel like I can't really boldly say that because uh, I feel kind of awkward. And, you know, she told me, you know, Hope, you're not on the wrong side of this. She was like, they're okay with murdering babies. You're not the weird one here. And I was like, you know what? That's a really, really good point. So several weeks later, I started a new class at a community college, which if you don't know, community colleges in Illinois are liberal. And so um, I got up in front of the class to kind of introduce myself. And I said, hi, my name is Hope. And I am extremely pro-life. And I am starting a nonprofit called Simply Pro-Life, where I give people the means and resources to do the simple things for the pro-life movement. And everyone was kind of shocked. And I felt that. I felt that judgment. But it was uncomfortable. But I'm sure it's a kind of a probably a lot more uncomfortable to be murdered in the womb. And we need that perspective. And it's so easy to, you know, say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to be able to change their mind, so I'm not going to say anything. It's just easier if I don't say anything at all. But I feel like we owe it to the babies and to their mothers and to the fathers to say something, to be their voice and to be bold about that. Mm -hmm. The one thing I've learned from this project is that you have to be unashamed and, you know, show your conviction. Because in the beginning, I was kind of trying to play it soft. And I was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's not like 
I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to die. It's not like uh, that big of a risk. And, and I was trying to downplay it, thinking that I could get into different like spheres and, and reach more people that way. But I learned that if you want to reach people, if you want people to, I guess, come onto your side, then you have to show conviction and you have to be unashamed about it. And so now like people ask me like, oh, what would you do if you fell? And I'd be like, well, I would die. But, you know, this is how big of a problem what is going on in America, what, what go, what's going on in America is, it's the fact that we should be willing to risk our lives for it. And we should be willing to take these risks and we need to be unashamed about it and sort of show the conviction to where if someone on a plane, like asks me what I do for work, it's, you know, I save babies from the Holocaust and, you know, sort of speaking out in every conversation that we can have about what's going on. Otherwise, if we don't treat it like a Holocaust, then no one else will. Mason, you're a great balance of inspiring and very funny because you say, um, you know, I remember when you came and spoke at my Simply event, you know, your first kind of deep dive, like before, you know, you really got into the pro-life aspect of your speech was you were answering some commonly asked questions about climbing and you say, is it safe? And your answer was, yes, but I might die. And I just, <laughs> I think that you're you're, I think that it does take a level of braveness to climb a skyscraper, but I think it takes a level of faith to climb a skyscraper for the pro-life movement. And I think that that's awesome and inspiring and, and it's just so cool. But how do you get over that bump? Like, I know that you, you know, you, you just said that, you know, you have to kind of be willing to risk your life, but that's a big risk, you know? I mean, I, I was just watching, um, you know, your short clip from, you know, the Lila Rose podcast where you were talking about, I believe it was climbing the Devon Tower. And I was looking at that tower and one slip of a foot, you would have been seriously hurt if not dead. How do you get over that? Well, you know, you just sort of remember why you're doing what you're doing, right? It's to fight the Holocaust. It is a righteous cause. And as far as our lives go, our lives have been bought and paid for by Christ. So it's, it's I guess, one of my, my favorite songs is the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And you watch- No way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you, that is you watch... so funny. That is so funny. It was one of my grandpa's absolute favorite songs. We sing it like everything for him and everything. That's so cool. Okay, continue. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you watch all the old like pro-life, footage of like rescue and all these things and they would kneel in front of the abortion clinic singing battle hymn of the republic but you read into why the song was written and what it was written for and it was written for the civil war it was literally this battle hymn i mean it's battle hymn of the republic but it's, it's a song that's being sung as these soldiers marched into their death and they were marching fearless because they knew that what they were doing was a righteous cause. It was to end slavery. And one of the lyrics I, I think is to me, my, my, one of my favorite lyrics of any song. And it says, Christ died to make men holy. Let us live to set men free. And originally it was, let us die to set men free because they were marching them into their death. But I think that's like, I guess uh, the moral of the story is like our lives have been paid for. So what does it matter? Like everything else that's not this sort of righteous cause is all vanity. So it's like whether or not I don't make any money to buy a new car or whether or not I, I, I die on a skyscraper. It's like the outcome is the same. Like, you know, we've got Christ behind us. Then what is there to fear? There's nothing to fear. 
There's nothing to fear. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And and I think that it's really interesting because in the Bible it tells us over and over and over and over again, do not fear. And yet we imperfect humans still fear. I still fear. It's inspiring to hear that you have seemed to overcome that. It was it was interesting. I was in a speech class way long ago. I was probably five years ago, and I was um, and it was interesting because the number one fear among American adults is speech like like public speaking and i think that's really interesting because the bible tells us to go and preach the gospel and it's very interesting how the devil is using fear to stop us from something that god has commanded us to do and the devil does that for the pro-life movement he uses fear to stop us from speaking out and and protecting these babies uh and so we do need those reminders that we need to get over our fears for the betterment of his kingdom my next question for you is what do you want to see in the future of the pro-life movement? The resurrection of Operation Rescue. Whoa, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Sure, absolutely. Why do you want to see that? Yeah, I guess uh, for folks at home that don't know what Operation Rescue was, it was the largest uh, civil disobedience movement of all time. You had mothers, you had fathers, you had grandmothers. And they would sit in front of these abortion clinics and block the doors. And it was sort of based off of the idea that if you're out in front of abortion clinics, sidewalk counseling, and a woman walks past you and just ignores you and goes in, she's not going in there to clean her teeth. She's going in there to murder her child. So the only Christian response is to stand in front of the door at whatever cost to yourself and save this baby's life. But I think furthermore, you look at the cultural aspects that that has. And these babies that are being murdered in the womb, we don't get to see them die. There is no story told of these children. They are die, they're, they're killed, they're thrown in the trash. In the case of DC, their bodies are burned for electricity. Oh, and so, what? yeah, having the rescuer stand in front of the abortion clinics, I mean, they're beaten by the police, they're arrested by the police, they're just ridiculed. They are sort of, I guess, taking the sort of victimhood of the children and showing it and projecting it. And I think like you look at the civil rights movement and what really changed the civil rights movement were the sort of victim imagery. It was people being sprayed with fire hoses. It was open caskets being shown in the newspapers. And if they can't do that with children in the womb, then we need to sort of do that with ourselves and just put ourselves in between the abortion clinics. And now what we're looking at is an opportunity to challenge the FACE Act. So over 70,000 people were arrested for blocking the doors of abortion clinics. And the reason why it all sort of stopped was Bill Clinton had issued the FACE Act and it made it punishable by 11 years in prison to block the doors of an abortion clinic. And the justification behind it was that abortion was a constitutional right and to block the doors of an abortion clinic, you are denying someone their constitutional right. Moreover, the fact that the police arrest us for protesting every day, and that's a denial of our constitutional right and not a felony. Now that Roe is overturned, we can challenge this law. And really, I, I guess, in my mind, like if you want to see a revival, it starts with, I guess, foregoing our, our, our worldly our worldly things and, and putting ourselves in the line and realizing that, like, hey, if we want to see a revival, then we have to stand up for Christ and stand up for, for righteousness. 
and save these children from the Holocaust. And you look at Operation Rescue years ago, it truly was a revival. You had police officers who would come to arrest the rescuers and turn in their badges because they couldn't do it. There's literally a guy who, who turned in his badge and joined the rescuers and then was arrested no in his way. uniform. Yeah. And it's something out of so a Jim cool. Morrison song, like police officers Seriously. are turning in their badges. But if we want to see a revival, if we want to see a revolution in this country, I, I really think it needs to be some something radical as, as rescue. Wow. And you'd be the one to lead it. Go for it. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever God is calling you towards. Mason, that's amazing. So my final question for you is what is something simple that we can do for the pro-life movement? Yeah, so this isn't as radical as getting arrested for rescuing. <laughs> but like one, one thing that I started doing is I really like woodworking. And my family is, uh, we, we come from a long line of carpenters. Like my grandpa was a carpenter. My dad was a carpenter. My great grandpa was a carpenter. I've always just liked working with wood. And so uh, I started building the little rocking horses for babies and I'm going to auction them off. And so for like every baby I save through Let Them Live, I'm going to mail them a little rocking horse. And they're not actually horses. They're like triceratops. They're little, <laughs> they look like dinosaurs. And so that's Is that intentional. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was a cool design. That's and awesome. So like it's something simple, like you can auction them off and make money from them and give the money to the, 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 mo- the mothers as well. And with the leftover money, I send them a triceratops. I love it. Mason, that's so cool. You're so unique in the pro-life movement. You're such a unique face to have around and in a person and everything. Um, you're making little triceratops, rocking horses, rocking, <laughs> rocking triceratops. Yes. Um, you know, you're auctioning them off. You're saving the mother or saving babies. You're, you're giving the money to mothers. You're climbing towers to raise money for mothers. You are doing so much, so many different things for the pro-life movement. I can't even keep track. Ultimately, all of it is to benefit these women, these children. And, and you're so good at, at staying humble about it, which is just very, very impressive. And it's so unique and inspiring to have a young guy in the movement doing something so unique and bold. And it truly is a testament to the truth that the pro-life movement holds, which is that all life has value and dignity and should be treated as such. So I thank you so much for coming on here, despite all the tribulations of, you know, your tripod falling over and everything, trying to get that figured out and your busy schedule. So I thank you for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Or any time. Thank you so much for listening to the Simply Pro-Life Podcast. If you like this episode, I encourage you to leave a rate and review and to share the episode. Also, feel free to follow me on social media. It is at Simply Pro-Life on Instagram and at underscore Hope Miller on Instagram. If you want to get on the podcast or have any questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and shoot me an email. It is hope at simplyprolife.org. We'll see you again next week on the Simply Pro-Life Podcast. Thank you.